We know you've traveled a long way. It's been 39 years since we've left Egypt. Some of you have come from Goshen, traveling by donkey and horse, and uh, we realize the elements haven't been favorable this year uh, across deserts and mountains, caves, holes in the ground uh, that some of you have had to sleep in on your journey here. For those who live nearby, we're going to ask that you let those who've traveled furthest get toward the front of the line so they can make their way back expeditiously. Just please organize yourself according to your offering. So if you've come with sin and burnt offerings, we'll need you on this side of the tabernacle. And if you've come with peace and grain offerings, we'll need you over here. And then in every section, if you would just organize yourself according to specific offering underneath your ritual sacrifice. So for those who have oxen, and cattle, if you'll be on the furthest of your side, and for those with the smaller animals, starting with goats, sheep, and turtle doves, if you would just kind of descending size, organize yourself. And since the elements haven't been kind this year, and it's rained a lot over the last few days, those of you who have soaking wet animals that stink badly, would you just go to the back of the line so that the rest of us can endure this moment of Passover. We're glad that you're here. We know it's been a lot of trouble, but we got a lot of sacrifices to make, so let's just all help each other out. Why did you not do that today? Why have you never done that? Why does that sound crazy to you? The answer is the body of Jesus. The passage is Hebrews chapter 10. It's verses 1 to 14. Our two points today are never and forever. The blood of bulls and goats can never take away your sin. The offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time, forever, can make you right with God and satisfy you fully. Hebrews chapter 10, I'm going to pick up the reading in verse 1. Kids, try to picture this passage in your mind as I read it. For the law, since it has only a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very form of never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered? Because the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have had consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins year by year. Verse 4, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it's written of me. To do your will, O God. After saying above, offering In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have not desired, nor have you taken pleasure in them according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will. 
He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Verse 10, by this will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time onward until his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Verse 14, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. Join me at the throne of grace as we pray and ask for God's help to consider this text. Oh Lord, thank you for the once for all time sacrifice of the body of Jesus who came born naked and needy, little baby, in order to give that body according to your will as the perfect sacrifice for our sins so that we could be what you describe as sanctified. What you call perfected for all time. Thank you for the finality, the fullness. And thank you for the personal application of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We love you and praise you and ask that you would speak to each of us even now in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Well, from this oh-so-beautiful passage of Scripture about our Savior and the forever salvation that God provides for us on the basis of His very bloody bodily sacrifice, I have two thoughts that I want to share with you from this really, really rich passage. I've already given them to you. They are never and forever. Verses 1 to 4 is never. Also verse 11. And then verses 5 to 10, then the end of the passage, 12 to 14, that's forever. Never, verses 1 to 4, verse 11. Forever, verses 5 to 10, verses 12 to 14. Let me just show you where I get the words. Verse 1, if you can find the middle of the verse, shadow of the good things to come, not the very form of things, can never by the same sacrifices which they offer continually make perfect those who draw near. Then if you skip down to verse 4, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. And if you just skim down to verse 11, you can see at the end of the verse the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. That's where we get never. Before we go to our second point, just a few thoughts about that never. As strange as it may seem, to people in the room today who do know and love Jesus, you know in your deepest heart that God is love. For everybody who knows God, you already know without me or anybody needing to tell you that the only true God overflows with goodness toward His loved ones. And because of all that, it may sound strange to you to be reminded, or for those who don't know God, it may sound very strange for you to hear two of the reasons in verses 1 to 4 
that God made all those people bring all those bloody sacrifices that I was describing at the beginning of my opening comments. Two of the reasons, it's not all the reasons, but two of the reasons in this passage that all those sacrifices, according to God's plan, who does overflow with love and goodness, two reasons that those happened year after year after year is to remind you of your sin. God wants you to think about your sin. That's one of the reasons God required year after year sacrifices. Do you know your sin? Are you in touch with your depravity? Can you think of anybody more sinful than you? Have you been horrified, petrified, stunned and staggered, almost knocked off of your feet by God pulling the curtain back and letting you see what's in your heart? If he pulled it all the way back, you would die instantly. Do you know your sin? That's one of the reasons in verses 1 to 4, God wanted those sacrifices to happen. There is in them, quote, a reminder of sins year by year. Another reason in the passage, again, it's not every reason, but it's two of the reasons God gives us here, is to not remove your sin. Why travel all that way through all those elements in that pre-tech time to come to the temple or the tabernacle to have a priest offer a sacrifice if it wasn't going to do the job? Verse 4 says, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take your sin away. So the sacrifices remind you of your sin, and they don't take it away. But the law is not the problem. The law exposes the problem. The law is actually a perfect mirror of the character of God. And as such, when you look in that mirror, you see something you can't escape. You see your damnable predicament. You see all your defects and flaws. Some people look in the mirror and hate what they see. But it's not because they see accurately. All kind of disorders and phobias are exacerbated by mirrors because people think they see something that's not actually there. But the mirror of the law shows you what's there. And when you look into that mirror, you do see defects. You do see flaws. You do see your sin. Because the glass is, as I said, a perfect representation of the character of God shining through His good law. Inevitably then, as we look into that glass, we see our own sin. Do you know your sin? Year after year, the saints of the Old Testament were reminded that their sins were a big problem. And through their sacrifices, they were not removed. Instead, they just had to remember them. That's why our first point is never. Verse 1 those sacrifices never, dot, 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 make perfect those who draw near to God. 
So the biggest problem you and I have is not are you getting the thing tomorrow that you had on your wish list all year? The biggest problem is not are you going to get it or how are you going to feel if you don't get it? Kids, the biggest problem that all the people in the room have, young and old, is how can you get close to God? The reason that's a problem is because the Old Testament says He is of purer eyes. His eyes are so pure as to not look upon iniquity. Light cannot have fellowship with darkness. God cannot just allow unforgiven sinners to come into His presence. And if you bring two turtle doves or ox, sheep, cattle, grain, wine, oil, and you sacrifice all your best for Him, their sacrifices didn't work because they were the ones offering them. Verse 1 says, never make you perfect. Verse 4 says, impossible to take away sin. So, I want you to picture something again. We're not in a cafeteria. We're in a big tent. It would be, I think, roughly the dimensions of this room by my little quick math this week. We're in a tent, we're in the desert, and we've been there for 39 years. We've moved around a little bit, we've taken our tent down and we've set it back up, but this is the tabernacle. Somewhere behind this curtain is the Holy of Holies. The high priest would come in here, nobody else goes with him, he makes a sacrifice, he puts the blood on the mercy seat, which is on top of the Ark of the Covenant, and he goes out after he does his job. Now I want you to imagine the millions of gallons of blood that were spilled over the last 38 years. Not just for that one sacrifice, but for all the multiplied sacrifices. And verses 1 through 4 want us to know what verse 11 says. Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. The big problem with every sacrifice that you and I make to God, including every sacrifice the Old Testament priests made on behalf of the people, and all the sacrifices were an effort to absolve our sin, the big problem is that it makes our problem worse. Being a sinner makes any sacrifice that we offer to remove our sin incapable of succeeding. Sinners cannot atone for sin. Galatians says that if we can get righteous, right with God, through our law-keeping effort, our sacrifice, let me say it again another way, if we can get right with God by what we do, then Jesus never had to die. Galatians 2.21, verse 10 is clear. Man's sacrifice, pardon me, verse 11, can never take away sin. So as we transition to our second point, think about this never. Even if you had a perfect sacrifice to offer to God for your sins, the problem with any sacrifice you can offer is that you're the one offering it. You need not only a perfect sacrifice, you need a perfect priest who does not contaminate the sacrifice while he is offering it. That's my percussion, just to see if you guys are paying attention. Enter Jesus 
He took on flesh and blood. That's somebody just like you. But without sin. And He did so to offer a sacrifice to God. And that's good news because He's also just like Him. We turn to forever. Our sacrifice can never take our sin away. Look at the forever part, verses 5 to 10 and 12 to 14. Forever. Do you see down there in verse 10? By this will, the will of God, we've been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Forever. Verses 5 to 9, you can probably tell the way your Bible is uh, set up that it's a quotation from an Old Testament psalm. Psalm chapter 40. It quotes verses 6 to 8 of Psalm 40. And in that psalm, Psalm 40, David is writing and he's reflecting back on another time that happened before his lifetime or the overlap of his lifetime when Saul was king. So David's writing about when Saul was king and a specific moment in Saul's leadership that was a failure. One of many, but Saul was commanded by God to go destroy the Amalekites. They were under the ban. And so Saul goes and God gives him victory in war and on his way back from war, Samuel the prophet meets him. And Samuel says, uh, did you obey God? And Saul says, yes. Did you destroy them? Yes. Did you destroy all the animals? Yes. And then the prophet Samuel says to Saul, well then what is this bleeding of the sheep that I hear? Now, I know you can't smell it and you can't hear it, but if you were at the tabernacle, you would smell it and hear it. It would be so loud you wouldn't be able to hear me, all the animals making all their animal noises. But Samuel said to Saul, if you killed all the animals, what is this, by, what is this bleating of the sheep? that I hear. You know what Saul said? Oh, oh, oh. I, I, I spared the best of the animals and their king, Agag. But don't worry, prophet. I saved those animals because they were the best because I'm going to sacrifice them to God. And Samuel basically says to Saul, God doesn't want your sacrifice. God wants your obedience. David in Psalm 40 quotes that. The writer of Hebrews quotes the psalm. But more than quoting the psalm, he writes it in Hebrews 10 as if Jesus is reading it. During his 33 and a half years or so on earth incarnate. And what's happening in Hebrews 10 is Jesus is having his quiet time in Psalm 40. He's praying through it. He's meditating on it. He's talking with God about it. And he says, oh, sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me? Behold, in the scroll of the book, it's written about me. I have come to do your will, O God. And Jesus says, if you gave me a body in order to be a sacrifice for sinners, then I delight to do your will. I love to do your will. Yes, I will lay down my perfect body as the sacrifice you require 
for sinners to be forgiven of their sin and made right with you forever. That's the way verses 5 to 9 work in Hebrews chapter 10. As Jesus is meditating on God's Word, I can just imagine Him. He's got His Teleos Academy study out. He's going through Psalm 40. He's making His notes in the page. And as He makes His notes and meditates on that passage, the Holy Spirit rouses this unflinching affirmation that that passage is about Him, it's about His incarnation, it's about His body, His bloody sacrifice for sinners according to the will of God. I say unflinching obedience because two times in that little passage, Jesus prayed this little phrase, I have come to do your will, O God. Verse 7 and verse 9. Total unwavering obedience to the point of death. Jesus put his own life under the ban to be cut off and sacrificed for sinners who did not obey God's law. Now look at verse 10. That's where we learn that God's will for Jesus is to do something. Offer His body. This is the glorious Gospel. God willed to send His Son into the world so that He would make the necessary sacrifice for your sins so that you, could, that you never could have brought to Him on your own. He made the sacrifice you never could have brought to Him. Christmas Eve, 2023. Do you see the beauty of verse 5, 7, and 9? Verse 5, when He comes into the world. Verse 7, I have come. Verse 9, I have come. This is the incarnation. This is what we're celebrating. Martin Luther said, what is meant by the phrase, the King comes, is that you do not seek Him, but He seeks you. You do not find Him. He comes to find you. He came from heaven to earth. He came to hunt us down. Where did He come? Into the world. From whence did He come? Where did He come from? From heaven, from the portals of eternity. How did He come? Needy as a baby born to a teenage virgin mother incarnate. The fullness of deity, Colossians 2, in bodily form, all of God, wrapped in humanity. Why did He come? Verse 10, to offer His body as a sacrifice for you. I started the sermon by imagining we're at the Old Testament tabernacle for a day of priestly sacrifice, and I pretended that you were to organize yourselves according to what type of sacrifice you brought with you, animal, grain, oil, etc. But do you see? Jesus is the true and greater Isaac. He didn't bring a sacrifice with him to the altar. He is the sacrifice. Just like Isaac with Abraham going up the mountain in Genesis 22. Father, I see the wood. I see the fire. But where's the sacrifice? Jesus is that sacrifice. He's the whole reason. That is the whole reason that God gave him a body. Look at verse 10. By this will, that's the will of God for Jesus to die for us, by this will we have been sanctified, clean, pure in God's sight.
through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. I want you to think this Christmas Eve morning about the body of Jesus. The fleshly human body of Jesus. You could touch Him. that You could hear Him. that You could sit with Him. Fellowship with Him. Walk with Him. I want you to think about that body. Kids, Jesus did not have a body in eternity past. He had no hands to clap. He had no hair to brush. God is Spirit. The incarnation of the Son of God is the brain-boggling miracle that the all-knowing Jesus took on a brain. In the incarnation, God took on humanity. Not the other way around. Two natures, God and man, one person, are tasting the truth catechisms, correctly teach us God is spirit and does not have a body like a man. That is true. But in the coming of Jesus into the world, verse 10, the offering of the body of Jesus, in the coming of Jesus into the world, the Son of God, at that moment, then, now, and forever, He does have a body like a man. He didn't give His body away when He rose from the dead. He rose in His body. He's coming back in His body. He's seated in heaven in His body. Forever, you will see the embodied Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we quote the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed, which says in a little part of it, it is necessary for your eternal salvation that you believe in the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully. This is the true faith. That we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son, is both God and man equally. He is God from the essence of the Father, begotten before time. He is man from the essence of His mother, born in time. Completely God, completely man, with a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father as regards divinity. Less than the Father as regards humanity. Although He is God and man, yet Christ is not two, but one. He is one, however, not by His divinity being turned into flesh, but by God taking humanity to Himself. He is one, certainly not by the blending of His essence, but by the unity of His person. For just as one man is both rational soul and flesh, so too the one Christ is both God and man. He suffered for our salvation. He arose from the dead on the third day. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at the Father's right hand. From there He will come to judge the living and the dead. That's why God gave Him a body to be offered for you as a sacrifice for our sins. Because the children share in flesh and blood. Hebrews 2 says, He Himself also took flesh and blood. So that through death, he could put the devil to death, to death. So that he could set us free from the fear of death. Verse 17 of Hebrews 2 says, He had to be made like his brothers in everything so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation the right sacrifice for the sins of the people. Hebrews 1 says that he purified our sins through his sacrifice. Hebrews 4 says He's not only the sacrifice, but He's the priest. And as the priest, He passed through the heavens. And as our priest 
who is like us in our flesh. He can sympathize with our weakness. Therefore, draw near to God through Him. Hebrews 7 says, all the other priests existed in great numbers. The people who made all those sacrifices, there were tons of them because they kept dying. But Jesus, Hebrews 7, 24, because He continues forever, He holds His priesthood forever. Therefore, He can save forever those who draw near to God through Him because He always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.27 says He does not need, like all the other priests, to offer up sacrifices for His own sins, then for others, because He made the one time for all, He made the once for all time sacrifice, Hebrews 7.27, when He offered up Himself. Hebrews 8 says the main point of the book of Hebrews, the main point in what has been said is this, we have a high priest who has taken His seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Hebrews 10 says, we have confidence to go to God in the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Because, Hebrews 10.21, He is a great priest for us over the house of God. Therefore, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. So, in eternity past, nobody could see Jesus. God is invisible. He is spirit. Once He came to earth, you could obviously see Jesus. What's it going to be like when we get to heaven ourselves? All the people, you and I, who belong to Jesus are going to delight in Revelation 22.4. You will see His face. Why? Because Hebrews 10 says, a body you have prepared for me. I have come into the world. Jesus is the visible, invisible God. So I want you to put your mind's attention on one little thought as we close. Not the never, but the forever. Look at verse 10. Once for all. Look at verse 12. For all time. Look at verse 14. For all time. Verse 12 says that Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, you see this little phrase? Sat down at the right hand of God. Look at verse 14. For by one offering, He has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. You know, I started by saying, thank you for coming all this long way with all your stinky animals for this sacrificial moment. In the Old Testament, what those people would have said to me, or whatever priest was making the offerings, don't you dare sit down. I mean, you think you were exhausted from traveling all that way to get here for Passover with all your animal sacrifices. Imagine how exhausted the priest is for a week's worth of sacrifices never being able to sit down. You try to stand up from now till New Year's Eve. They couldn't sit down. 
because their work was never done. So in verse 12 says, one sacrifice for sins for all time. Then he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The reason the New Testament constantly beats the drum of the fact that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, minus one exception, when he gave Stephen a standing ovation for being willing to give his life for faithfulness to Jesus. Other than that, Jesus is sitting down. And the reason he's sitting down in his body, parallel dignity to God the Father at his right hand is to show the universe that all who trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins are as accepted in the presence of God as he is. The work is done. It is finished forever. If your hope is in the risen Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are as accepted as Jesus is in the presence of God forever. Nothing can undo that. The ground of your salvation is not how good you do in 2024 with your Bible reading plan. I hope you do great. Please read the Bible cover to cover. That would be awesome. But the ground of our acceptance is not our sacrifice. The ground of our acceptance is the man at God's right hand. If the Father will kick the Son out of heaven, then He can kick you out too. But as long as Jesus occupies the throne, so long will you be saved. Because verse 14 says, He perfected for all time. He sanctified for all time those who have come to God through Him. Christians are just people, but people who belong to Christ. Christians are people that believe that all sad things are going to come untrue one day. But our hope is not in ourself, it's not in our religion, it's not in our sacrifice. Our sure, solid hope is in another. Who He is and what He has done. Our Redeemer, who right now is seated on heaven's throne in a body. And that glorified body that you're going to see, Revelation 22.4, you're going to see His face. That glorified body that you're going to see bears the marks of His sacrifice that took away our sin. He's not suffering anymore. We don't believe he's being re-crucified every time we sin. No, it is finished. But the nail prints are in his hands and his feet. The spear print is in his side. The thorn prints are in his brow. You will see the glorified body of Jesus. So my closing is simply this. Turn from what will never satisfy not only not satisfy you, but more importantly, never satisfy God's righteous requirements for you to be forgiven of your sin. Don't bank on your sacrifice to get you right with God. Bank on a baby who gave his perfect body to be the only acceptable sacrifice for your sin and mine. Positively, trust. That Jesus and the offering of His body once for all time is enough to forever satisfy God's standard and to supply your everlasting joy. That's why the hymn writers would say things like, 
My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. It's really good theology. It's why the hymn writers would say, and when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. So you really have two options, friends. You can never have your sins forgiven, or you can forever have your sins forgiven. And the line of demarcation is Jesus of Nazareth. If you trust by faith that He bore your sin in His body on the tree, and that He rose again proving that you'll be justified if you put your hope in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, then you forever have the satisfying fullness of all that God is for you in Christ. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank You for the joy of Jesus. He really is our joy. And we pray that our hearts will be satisfied in the One who offered His body for the forgiveness of our sins once for all time. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.